It's time for another episode of Badoogie All-Stars with your host, Tecmo Super Bowl, Nixon the Grouch, and 2-4 Offsuit. Welcome, everybody, to episode 31 of Badoogie All-Stars. This is Tecmo Super Bowl. This is Nixon the Grouch. This is 2-4 Offsuit. Coming up on today's show, we have the lead tournament reporter for the World Poker Tour, BJ Nemeth. But first, most important, the question that's been burning in my mind since last episode, what did Lady Tramp tell you, Tom, about why she thinks you may be interested in guys? Well, I don't know if we want to give any sort of backstory, but real quick... Uh... Here's the backstory. Listen to episode 30, fools. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you um, can give a little backstory. Uh, I'm part of OkCupid, which is a dating website, and I... Uh, recently added some a little bit to my profile, um, and it basically just says something about me thinking Matthew McConaughey is quite charming. And? And my panties have been known to get wet uh, when he is on in a movie or something like that. Yeah, it was mostly the panties part I thought we should mention. I don't... I think that's not as important of a detail as the p- panties part, but anyway, what, well, what for, did... For accuracy, I'll just read what it is. Um, okay. yeah. It says, there's a section on that says, the most private thing you're willing to admit. And I just wrote, I'm not gay, but Matthew McConaughey has been known to make my panties slightly damp. What? He's so damn charming. Um, and then you got a message from a guy. Well, then I got a message from, yeah, Hot Stud. Uh, some black dude who wanted to hang out. <laughs> and I assume there's some correlation there. Um, and then I got a message from this lady whose username is Lady Tramp, um, and basically said, are you sure you're looking for a woman? And I wasn't going to respond, but then you guys said, oh no, you should totally respond and ask if it's the McConaughey comment or the panties comment. (laughs) (laughs) So I did, and she says... Yeah, well, I said, is it because I like McConaughey or the panties comment? And she said, yeah, the panties thing is so gay. Try not to joke like that, because I willn't be that first one to say that. Don't give up looking for someone. You you sound like nice person, though. (laughs) (laughs) And I just said, I appreciate the thought, but if someone is offended by that joke or doesn't understand it's a joke, I don't want to date them anyway. And she said, okay, don't come to me when Big Bubba comes to your door. <laughs> I couldn't have did hoped for tell- anything better. Did you tell her about Hot Stud? <clears throat> I did not. <laughs> okay. You know what you should do is wait two weeks, send her a message, and complain that Big Bubba just showed up and you want to change your mind. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> How long has it been since you did this exchange? Like two weeks? Yeah, four, let's, July let's ty- 14th. Let's start typing it right now. All right, let's do it. Um... <laughs> Or we could just keep doing the episode. Yeah. Oh, or that, yeah. I yeah, I guess. <clears throat> I mean, that's fine, too. That doesn't sound as fun, but... Uh, uh, so, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, what, what, anything else going on besides, you know, work, working out those issues? Uh, <laughs> I've just, yeah, I got a new foster dog on Wednesday. Um really pretty sweet because my last foster dog i cleaned up poo every time i came home and this one is completely house trained was that uh, the dog's poo that you're cleaning up or just <laughs> i i i don't know i mean there was poo in the dog's crate but i didn't you don't know 
dog poo. <laughs> Someone could have been breaking in and pooing in the dog's crate. I don't know. But don't go back to Lady Tram and tell her about that. <laughs> it's your own problem. <laughs> I'm just going to start. Anytime I have an issue, I'm just going to message Lady Tram. God, <laughs> milk went bad. <laughs> There's poo on the floor. You should have named the dog Big Bubba and then complained about it to Lady Tramp. (laughs) (laughs) Big Bubba just pooed in my house. (laughs) Oh, Oh, so speaking of names, what did you name the dog, or did you name the dog yet? Uh, Well, the the name given at the shelter was Audra, which doesn't really inspire a lot of cuteness and, oh, I want to adopt that dog. Audra. No offense to our listeners named Audra. Yeah, to all three of our Audra listeners, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I wouldn't want to adopt you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I, I, I was, I threw it out there on Facebook, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm looking for some names, um, and I was trying to come up with a good, you know, name that people would, you know, remember. Ah, sorry, remember. And be like, oh, that's cute. Uh, uh, see, I missed that part of the directive when I was trying to think of names. Oh, okay. But uh, I, mine, I, I like, I suggested Lockjaw, which I thought would be pretty memorable. Yeah. <laughs> the other one I thought of afterwards, but I well, was thinking they, a lot of people came up with like um, Pippi and Pickles, and for whatever reason, I was I, I enjoyed the P names. Um, and I was like, yeah, I like something with P. I feel like that fits. Like padlock jaw. Yes, like padlock jaw. <laughs> Do you um, think it's a bad idea associating P with adopting a dog? <laughs> <laughs> Poo starts with P as well, and you don't want to bring that back up. Um, I, I think it'll be okay. Um, I did like padlock jaw because I thought we could we could call her Patty. Um, and then if anybody came up and said, oh, what's, what's her name? I was like, Patty. And they're like, oh, that's so cute. And then I could be like, yeah, it's short for padlock jaw. And they'd be like, what? And then I'd just walk. Yeah. It well, would definitely be that, memorable. I know there's people that name their pets after their famous favorite athletes. So like Vicky after Michael Vick, my favorite football player would be a good name. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it doesn't start with a P though. That's true. So maybe that's the only reason it's not a good idea. Can't put Pat in front of every name. No, you can't, actually. <laughs> well, you could, but it doesn't really work. Nope. Adlock, John? No. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, uh, it's it's nice having a foster who doesn't... What's the it. dog's name? Oh, the, uh, so I settled on Peaches, uh, a.k.a. Georgia Peach. Oh, she just snotted all over me. Maybe yeah. Something similar to that. Um, ew. She's sick also. That's why we had to pull her from the shelter. She's got kennel cough and she wasn't doing well. But anyway, uh, it's nice that I don't have to clean up poo. Uh, just not. Yeah, just not. In other news, uh, I was talking to this girl who's like involved in dog rescue and stuff on Facebook. And I just offhandedly mentioned that I was going to... Why are dogs on Facebook? Um, why do they need to be rescued from Facebook? Well, Facebook it's has addictive. a lot of... Well, <laughs> and have you seen the settings? I mean, it's okay. pretty dangerous. Right. Um, anyway, uh, I met her. I was like, "Hey, I'm going to call a cleaning service," and she was like, "Oh, hey, I'll clean for you." And I was like, "All right." I was like, "Oh, I'd rather pay her, someone who I kind of trust, 
Um, but... she's, gonna she's gonna steal that dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh damn it! She keeps snotting everywhere. Anyway, um, and so I've been talking to this girl, and she actually came over and cleaned for me, and did a really good job, and it was cheaper, so that worked out. And then she also was like, "Hey, I can also cook for you if you want." Um, she used to be my friend that I play poker with. Uh, his his personal assistant and then they started dating apparently and broke up like three weeks ago which i just found out um so i'm not gonna tell him yeah just is he does he listen to the podcast is he an idiot yeah he might (laughs) podcast i just realized but whatever it happened (laughs) i feel like um i feel like you're an idiot is what i'm gonna say Who are you calling an idiot, dummy? That's right. So if you are now mad at Tom for him hiring your ex-girlfriend to cook and clean for him, email us at badoogieallstars at gmail.com. Yeah, but hopefully he won't mind. (laughs) Even if you don't mind and would like to call Tom an idiot anyway, badoogieallstars at gmail.com. Yeah, that's working out. For now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in two weeks, uh, when Big Bubba shows up, I might... Is that your friend's name? Because then this will be perfect. <laughs> Lady Tramp doesn't... will be stoked. <laughs> Wait, yeah, she's she has no idea what she's getting into. Anyway, what, what's going on with you, Bryce? Uh, let's see. Nothing nearly as exciting as that. Big Bubba has not come to my house at all, and Big Big Bubba is what I named the crows, coincidentally. <laughs> so that, that's worked out. I don't have to let that's anyone good. know. Um, at at Jordan's. Uh, suggestion repeatedly. I finally caught up on Breaking Bad. It's not as bad as I thought. I think it's amazing, and it might be my favorite show of all time. I, see, I think the problem for me is I expected it to be a smarter show than it actually is, and so I went in with different expectations. And it's good, but it's one of those that's like, oh, that's not real. Well, it's like watching Twenty Four. Like Twenty Four is fine if you think of Twenty Four as a cartoon. If you try and think of it as like intelligent or interesting, it falls apart really fast because it doesn't make sense. So never, if you think of Breaking Bad as a well-acted cartoon, it's great. I never actually watched 24, but... I would recommend the first four seasons of 24 if you like Breaking Bad. Okay. I mean, in terms of like, oh my god, that just happened? It was, It's pretty good. It's not quite as crazy, but still pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the acting's fantastic. I just... I find it a little... I don't know. The characters are really, really flat for me. Okay. Or how good the acting is. I expected there to be... Like, I, I read that the creator is like, oh, you don't know who to root for, like, whether you want him to succeed. I think by season two, I was like, I don't really care if this guy succeeds. I don't actually like him at all. <laughs> like, there was no ambiguity to his character. He's just sort of a jerk. <laughs> what about the other characters? Who? They're all jerks, too? Kind of. Who's the, Who in that show is not a jerk? I mean, I'm a big fan of... Uh... Gus Jr. I like I and the acting was fantastic. Like the oh. the dynamic of Gus versus Walt was really interesting. I didn't really care if either of them succeeded, but I enjoyed watching them be assholes. Yeah. <laughs> what about Walter Jr. and Breakfast? He's okay. I feel bad for Walter Jr. That's right. Empathy, bitch. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, uh, I don't know. I mean. It's better than it seemed to be at the beginning where they were doing a lot of talking, which doesn't work when the characters are boring. But once they started blowing shit up, I was on board. Nice. Caught up to, like, season five? I I am caught up. I saw the most recent one this morning, so we can 
I didn't want you to spoil anything, so I caught up just in case you were like, oh, and then this happens. Gotcha. Some See? somebody should tell Mitch that maybe he should get more into it. Well, season Mitch's four is now on Netflix. It is. That's how I caught up. Yeah, I have the Blu-ray of season four. Ooh, I can't see with your. <laughs> I have the laser disc of season one. Well, I had to get it's the Blu-ray. on Netflix, but I bought five copies of the Blu-ray. He didn't want to wait for it to be on Netflix. He was I didn't too know excited. It was never going to be on Netflix. What do you mean you don't know if it was ever going to be on Netflix? But it, you don't know if it's going to be on Netflix in time for watching season five, or then you're like perpetually behind. Yeah. Like I can finally use the internet to go. What was that other actor in? Because I've been afraid to look because I don't want to find out that he dies in two weeks. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Now I know who everybody is. Awesome. That's, I mean, that's really the important thing, right? Is yeah. knowing what a- other things actors were in. Yeah. That's what IMDb is for, right? Yeah. But IMDb tells you when they die sometimes. Stupid IMDb. Does it? Oh. Yeah, because yeah, it'll say like, well, it'll say they stopped being an episode suddenly, and you can make assumptions. Like, he got fired. Or they just went on vacation for a long time. Right. Anyway, what's been going on with you, Jordan? Um, I've been getting down on some golf lately. Uh, it's wonderful summertime, and I've always been pretty bad at golf, so I've been getting some golf lessons. And I just played yesterday in a, a scramble-type tournament, and that was a lot of fun, actually. Is that best ball? Yeah. Okay. But you have to run frantically around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's like a mix of musical chairs and golf. I, don't, doesn't it sound like it should be? Because I've heard scramble tournaments, and they sound like they're people moving a lot faster than they are when they actually play the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's, you should have to run. It's not best ball. First to the ball wins. <laughs> that would work out for me because I can't hit it very far. You just hit it a lot. No, though. you just run to the furthest ball. Whatever ball you run to and are the first to is the one you get to hit next. Oh, uh, okay. So you hit it short, and then you take off running, get to the furthest ball, and you get to hit that one. The guy who is slowest has to hit your ball. Why don't you just make it um, whoever gets their ball in the hole first? No. So then if you hit it slowly, then if you don't hit it very far, you get to run up to it and hit it again. But that guy that hits it really far, he has to run all the way there and then hit it. I don't like that as much. I like the idea of you hit the ball and then have to run to a different ball, and it's a race. I think that sounds it's a it keeps the best ball aspect, but you still involve scrambling. A lot of scrambling involved with yeah. that. Yeah, spread the word. <laughs> or you could play football. Um. Yeah, I guess that's always an option, Tom. Yes. <laughs> That's a much better option. <laughs> nice. No, not not that my my idea is perfect. Anyway, how is golf going? Uh, it's been going pretty good. I, What's your handicap? I am too handicapped to have a number still. <laughs> yeah, how does that work? Do you actually does anybody actually know how that works? Like, yeah, I know you, somebody does, but didn't, is anybody on this podcast that can explain it to me right now? How yeah. handicap works? Yeah, they park in the blue spots. <laughs> you have to have a ramp. Um, how do they? Feel no, it has. Have it has to do with, like, you play a certain number of rounds at a, and it's like they are the number of strokes subtracted to get you down to par or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So par is usually 72 for 18, and if you shoot, like, 90, then you're an 18 handicap on average. But then there's other things like, um, you know, some courses have, like... Women's tees? Uh, no, like a, a lot of vertical... <laughs> Driving Trees. ranges, putting green. <laughs> no, 
if um if you play at like harder courses that affects your handicap too so if you shoot like a 95 at a hard course and then an 80 at a really easy course they there's some way to account for that i don't know what that is though math probably is it the tupac method from wilt i don't think so okay <laughs> are you just saying things <laughs> yes that's what i do <laughs> Football or Tupac. What was that rap song about golf handicaps? I love that one. (laughs) Um, So I've played 36 holes in my life. Um, (laughs) And I think I'm probably around a plus 50 handicap. Yeah, see, that's too bad to get a number. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the thing. It's like you're just awful is what they say for handicap. Mm -hmm. Your you handicap. To, is, your handicap is your golf game at that point. Yeah, you have to uh, <laughs> play like a certain number to get your handicap as well. And I'm guessing you probably have to break a hundred. No, I mean you can uh, have high handicap numbers, but you have to consistently do it. You can't just play 36 holes and be like, "All right, I guess my handicap's infinity." <laughs> <laughs> I never yeah. finish those holes, so. <laughs> <laughs> I played 36 different rounds of golf. So in in the golf that you played, Tom, how many holes had windmills on them? (laughs) No windmills, but I actually, I've never gotten par, but I have one birdie. I I shot uh, on a par five. I uh, sunk it in four. Did you just get really lucky chipping it in? No, I got really lucky. It was like a 48-foot putt. Wow. The fact that you got it to the green in three is impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how I did that. Are but... you sure that was your ball? <laughs> was it was it a scramble as defined by me? No, it was definitely my ball, and I yeah, I don't know what happened. Somehow I got it there and then sunk the 48-foot putt, and yeah. Still shot a 125 or whatever, so. That's all right, but you should get into it, and you should uh, take lessons so that you actually know what to work on. Yeah, you before... should you should definitely spend more money on the activity you're not interested in. Yep. <laughs> well, speaking of activities that I'm only mildly interested in that I might get into, I'm, I'm actually supposed to go test ride a motorcycle after this. Oh, boy. With, your, the, uh... with your attention span? That doesn't sound like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, here, <laughs> I know myself, and I don't know if I, I've said this before, but I, I about four or five years ago, I used to have a motorcycle. Um, and Until that I, terrible day. <laughs> I I knew I know exactly what's gonna happen. I'm gonna buy a motorcycle. I'm gonna buy you know a helmet, gloves, and a jacket, and I'm gonna ride it for like a month or two, and then I'm gonna get very bored with it and sell it, and I'm gonna be out probably around fifteen hundred dollars. I think that is true. So here's the deal I would like to offer you: <laughs> for two hundred dollars, Jordan and I. Each, 200 each. We mm-hmm. will tell everybody about how awesome you are at, uh, riding a motorcycle, all of the great things you did. <laughs> Make it seem to the world like you're a motorcycle rider, and you don't have to be out that other money. That's like saving yourself $1,100 right there. Yep. That's very generous. I mean, it is. $1,100. I think, I think yep. the correct answer is snap call. <laughs> or the other idea I have... Uh, you can do this as well. Just buy the helmet and leave it places where people can see it. <laughs> they will assume he must ride a motorcycle. Wow, he's cool. You don't have to buy the motorcycle. That's true. Oh, or, it's in the shop. Or, suggestion three, take out a life insurance policy, name Bryce and I, 
as the uh, beneficiaries and go through with your plan. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't think it's dangerous. It's what? exactly <laughs> no, because he's not going to ride it long enough for it to be dangerous. Well, he's not going to ride it long enough to live. Wow, <laughs> to ride I don't, it long enough. I don't think he's going to make mistakes and die. I just think he's going to waste a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely. Gonna, we, I'm definitely we can't even get him to show up for this podcast. How we, how is he going to like dedicate himself to riding a motorcycle? How is he going to pay enough attention to live? <laughs> I I definitely am going to waste money. I know that that's a given. Um, how much money? Like I said, probably something around fifteen hundred dollars or eleven hundred dollars. Why don't you yeah, not buy Why don't you not buy gloves? No, not eleven hundred. Four hundred. Yeah, it'd be four hundred. Oh yeah, that's right. Save You're saving eleven. Saving eleven hundred. Yeah. The more you buy, the more you save. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. We'll tell people about something else you owned for another two hundred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can I get it like a group discount? Like if you tell them I own three things, could it be five hundred? Deal. Done. <laughs> yes. Snap call. Um, this is recorded. This is basically a verbal contract. <laughs> um, so anyway, you can, yeah, like you, you can even pick what the third thing is rather yeah, than us fix. making it up. Because I was going to say panties for the third one, but, <laughs> <laughs> but everyone already knows that that I wear panties or that you just have them. I'm assuming that you own them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're wearing them. I'm assuming they're not <laughs> rentals. Well, Big Bubba lets me borrow. Them. <laughs> um, no, anyway, the the bikes I've been looking at, I was looking at a 250, which is a very, very beginner bike, and then also, my my first bike was a 500. Um, so you're going down. Yeah, I was thinking about it, but that's because of price, and insurance would, would be much cheaper on a 250. Do you think um, you can tell the insurance company that you're really not going to ride it? Just be upfront with them? I don't know. I just want insurance in case something falls on it when it's parked outside. <laughs> it's like but dust, have, like, just dust insurance. insurance. Yeah, wind insurance uh, against gusts, big gusts. Or big big bubbas. Yeah. I think that'll probably be out of your price range. Um, so anyway, yeah, the, I looked at a couple bikes that this guy was selling. Uh, so I have a question. Um, I'm sure we have an answer. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Have you guys ever bought any sort of automotive off Craigslist? No. No. I'm just wondering if I should get it, like... Checked, checked out? out? Yes. Yes. I have not bought anything off of Craigslist, but I've watched a lot of the People's Court. <laughs> um, my last... I've, also, I've also watched Judge Judy. If he pees on your leg and tells you it's raining, tell him not to do that. <laughs> Stop peeing on my leg. <laughs> That's what Judge Judy says. But she always adds the, and tell me it's raining. Just don't pee on my leg and say anything. <laughs> I would much rather her pee on my leg and at least say something than just peeing on my leg and I'm not noticing or something though. If I ever have a, if I ever get to have a make a wish, it's going to be to find judge Judy in a rainstorm and tell her that someone's peeing on her leg. (laughs) Wow. Um, (laughs) Horrible. Anyway. So yeah, I don't know. It's yes. Get it checked out. Absolutely. A motorcycle, but yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I should get it checked out, but I don't know how. Take it to a mechanic. Yeah, but I can't just take the bike. Tell him yeah. you would like to get it checked out by a mechanic. and Of your choosing. Yes. Okay. And then if he won't do that, that's probably a good indication that there's a problem. Yeah. Well, like, I guess, all right, I guess i got to find a mechanic then. Yep. <laughs> well, because if you go to one of his choosing, you don't, you can't guarantee that it's 
Yeah, okay. for sure. Where do you take your car when it breaks? To a mechanic, but it's far away. It's like an hour away, so I, I got to find something more local. All right. Yeah, because you don't want to ride the motorcycle there. Yeah. You might be bored halfway and then have to walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want any other legal tips, I can share what I've learned from the People's Court. I will for... keep you in mind for advice. Yeah, I, I mean, all yeah. kinds of important things. Don't buy a cell phone for your girlfriend. Don't buy a cell phone for your neighbor. Don't buy a cell phone for your stepson. All of these lessons are taught weekly on the People's Court. <laughs> it's good to know. Yep. So so should I get a motorcycle or not? No. <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't really met anyone who said yes. You know why? Why? Because it's an awful idea. <laughs> are you just doing it to impress the ladies? No, I'm just doing it to this, save this money. Is it a midlife crisis? It is kind of a midlife crisis, but um, it also gets 75 miles to the gallon, so that would be nice. Why don't you get a bicycle? (laughs) (laughs) When you measure it to a gallon of water or juice. It gets infinity miles to the gallon of gasoline. How many door widths will it go? How many door widths per what? Per circle of fiber? Gallon of water that Tom drinks. That. Per gallon of water that Tom drinks? Tom doesn't drink water. He drinks soda and juice. Okay. And soda? milk. I drink club soda. Whatever. You probably don't <laughs> drink water, though. <laughs> anyway. I like how you brag that you drink club soda. <laughs> is that soda with a third piece of bread? I don't really know what club soda is. It's seltzer water. Oh, so it's it's what you spray on clowns. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What yeah, I my... do is I get um, a bucket under them so that it doesn't waste any of it, and then I drink it. Fair enough. Yeah, my <laughs> friend has a thing in his bathroom that converts tap water to seltzer water, but he goes in the bathroom, he's like, I'm going to go make water, and then he comes back with a glass, and that just grosses me out. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he have it in his bathroom? I have a thing that does that. It's called Soda Stream, and you just buzz the water and it turns it into seltzer water but I don't have it in my bathroom I don't know I just hope he doesn't listen to this <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're listening to this and you have soda water in your bathroom send an email badookieallstars at gmail.com don't do that or if you have a motorcycle and you think it's you can be the first person to tell me that I should get one <laughs> if, you, if you know a mechanic in the Baltimore area yeah <laughs> now we're just now we're just stretching. <laughs> <laughs> you're the, yeah, you're the one who invented our PayPal account last time. Oh, yeah. That's a genius idea, by the way. Where do you see these emails that we're going to get from us? Um, speaking of genius ideas, it's not at all related to genius ideas. What's going on in the news? I just really wanted to stop talking about the motorcycle. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> um so, since I asked the question, I will answer it because no one else is. <laughs> What's the news? Um, I, according to the headline, I read Full Tilt Poker Stars Negotiation in the Can, which Fuck. is... Yeah, that was my thought. Oh, no. Apparently, it means in the can like a movie, not in the can like in the trash. It's so, good. Apparently, it's that, good. Or maybe... Phrase. What? I don't know that phrase, in the can like a movie. Like the movie's in the can. Yeah. Done. Finished. Oh, okay. So, movies know. come on these big reels, and they put them in cans to transport them. Yep. So when it's in the can, it's complete and ready to be sent off for yes. viewing. Occasionally, you will hear a movie that like took forever to come out, 
like uh, that Joss Whedon Cabin movie was mm-hmm. in the can for like three years, and then they put it out. Oh, I saw that. It was okay. Yeah, I agree. Should have stayed in the can, I think. I think so too. I think it. W- I felt like it went in the can near the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, just sitting here in disbelief. Over the fact that we're still using the phrase in the can. That you guys didn't it, like it. It was stupid. Yeah, it was. It was, it, it was. It started out with a good premise, and it was like, okay, okay, I, I can get on board with this, and then it got fucking crazy. The fact that I couldn't even tell some of the jokes were supposed to be funny is not a good sign in what's supposed to be a funny movie. But anyway, relating back to the news and the lady <laughs> with the scary eyes, um, the uh, apparently the full tilt poker stars deal is done. I've also heard people say that it's actually in the garbage can so hard to say but what i have read is that they're supposed to announce something on monday so always announce good news on monday right yep i mean because we have never so far had this poker stars full tilt news come out with an announcement where they didn't say anything so that's good (laughs) in the in the report it did say that uh players would have their money to go christmas shopping with or something like that did yes it did not say which year (laughs) <laughs> but it did say Christmas. And it did not specify what level of toy like we're talking about, whether it's just like ball in a cup or you know, how much money we'll be getting. So Or Bose uh, stereo systems. Don't yeah. about that. I won't. Did they mention anything about full tilt points? They did not mention they anything. They didn't about... mention anything because the announcement hasn't happened yet. <laughs> My favorite part of it, you asking that question, is you sent the article to me. so anyway potentially good news for poker players potentially bad news for poker players who knows it's in the can (laughs) well i guess we shall see yeah do you want to want to place a bet i do you want to bet all the money in tom's full tilt account one way or another (laughs) is that zero dollars still yes or did you redeposit i I tried, but they're, I think they're, there's something wrong with their payment processor because they wouldn't take my money. That's weird. I mailed them a check. <laughs> oh, sigh. Anyway. Um, no, that's that's good news, though. Um, and I let's just, you know, hope for the best, I guess. Keep our fingers crossed. Use our one time. I don't even want to use my one time on this. I'm saving it for later. Yeah, that's a good idea. Just save it until the news breaks, and then, you know, if the deal was actually canned, then it would have been a good use of your one time anyways. Well, no, but the deal, my one time may have uncanned the deal. That's how the one time works. You don't want to uncan the deal now. Oh, that's right, I forgot. I thought I was thinking <laughs> if it was canned. Man. Not a great headline. <laughs> I'm going to save my one time for uh, when I get a motorcycle and I'm about to you hit have saved your, You should have saved your one time for when you bubbled the triple draw event. Uh, that would have been a good time to use it. That would have been a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so you could mint cash. No. You'd, I'm assuming your one time, like if you used at an earlier point in the tournament, could have had him with far more chips. That's that's probably true, Tom. You think that Jason Mercier is staked with other people's one times, and that's how he wins? <laughs> I'll buy you into I'll buy you into this tournament and give you my one time. Maybe it's like the uh, the kid that gets three wishes and wishes for more wishes. So he's like, I want the one time to be my life. Yeah, that's true. He specified a duration on his one time. He's a genius. 
Yep. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to just throw this over to TJ now because this is getting stupid. Yep. Yeah, now it's what? getting stupid. Okay. Yeah, now it's... Sorry, now it's getting, getting stupid and I'm tired of making fun of Tom. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's uh, hug the rail. All right. And we're back with TJ. How are you doing, TJ? Good. How are you? Excellent. Good. Good? <laughs> Good. Yeah. Nice. So what do we got on the docket this week? <clears throat> um, over the weekend, I played a session at uh, the Golden Nugget in downtown Las Vegas. Um, it's a room I've been meaning to play for a while because their 1-2 game is uncapped. So I wanted to go and see how um, how that game is, see if it plays deep or not or if the uncap has a big effect on the game cool and did it uh no not really everyone was buying in for for the between like two and three hundred for the most part um right when as i was picking up there was actually a guy that was sitting down with a thousand but i had to go i really wanted to stay because he sat on right on my right but i had to leave isn't isn't there a dude that buys in for like ten thousand yeah, I've heard there's a guy that that plays the rooms downtown. They call him like the Duke of Fremont Street or something. And apparently he walks in with like this briefcase and sits down with like ten grand. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't picture, find him. I saw a picture him. of that guy. I didn't realize like he really takes himself that seriously, but he seems to. Apparently, he got robbed for like a hundred grand or something like downtown. I don't know. I've I've heard about this guy a few times. I think I need to just start a. Playing downtown like twice a week and ask asking uh, asking around and try to try to sit with them and sit with like my role on the table and see if I could bust him for like ten grand. Yeah, just cooler the shit out of him. Yeah, That's try and find his, try and find his squire and see if you can find out where he's gonna be. Do you think he'd stack off with ten k with the second nuts? Probably against you. <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Let's just say if it was against Tom, probably not. Wait, no. No, I don't know. I don't really know where you're going. I don't know either. Yeah. Um, but you should definitely try and play with him and see if you can get him to come on our show. Yeah, instead of Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I see where you're going with that. I'll try. I'll look for him. Nice. Uh, so how how is like the downtown games different from like a game <clears throat> on the strip? Um, I mean, it's it just like, it's just a super different vibe. It just, it's super, it just feels like a throwback. Like I got there and there was a little bit of a wait and they don't have an electronic waiting list or anything. It's all written down by hand. Um, you sit down and they don't have, they don't have a player's card or anything for hourly comps. If you play for f- four hours, you get a $10 food voucher, um, that's it. I mean, if you play for 20 hours, you still just get a $10 food voucher, I guess. So there's no like no way to track your hours to get like a room rate or anything. Uh so it's pretty it's pretty interesting. It's it's a super different feel than playing on the strip. Is everybody over the age of 80 except for the duke? No, I was actually surprised there was there's a few there's a few young guys in there. Um there there's 
they seem like I guess they're regulars. There there weren't too many um, tourists. There was a few, but they all seemed like they, uh, although they were tourists, I got the feel that every time there that they came to Vegas a lot, and every time they were there, they stayed only at the Golden Nugget. Um, it seemed like they had a pretty good rapport with like the dealers and the staff and whatnot. Um, so it was pretty much all regulars. Do you from, think those people realize that there is a strip and this isn't like the heart I, of Las Vegas? No idea. I, I I don't get too involved in talking to the other players, but I, I was I was really wanting to ask them like, why the hell do you come to Vegas and stay here every time? But were you scared that they would ask you the same question? No, I just don't, I I don't. I'm like, ah, he only has like three teeth. Do I really want to talk to him? Why does that bother you? <laughs> Are you? He's not. He's gonna bite you. Obviously. I mean, I it seems relatively safe. I don't know. Weird. The, no, it was a. It was a weird crowd. That was a weird room. Um, I don't know. It's just a really different vibe. How about the uh, size of the room? Is it large, small? Um, they have thirteen. Size? They have thirteen tables. Um, there were, there were two one-two games going and three. Two four limit games going, and then they also were just starting. They have a, I guess they have daily sixty five dollar tournaments, and they had less than two tables. One table that. then? Well, there's not a lot than, of numbers. Less than two, less than oh, two okay. full tables. Got it. So we're doing fractions. Never mind. I'm not interested. <laughs> cool. How was um, the coffee? Yes, dang it. Oh, did I get coffee? Or how was the sarsaparilla? I don't know what they drink in the Old West. <laughs> they gave me a canteen. And they were like, go find some water. Okay. And a dowsing rod. <laughs> you want water, you got to go out to the trough. <laughs> Did they have a um, a post where you could tie your horse up outside? But I didn't see it. I think I... Uh, By the trough. I think I parked on the other side. <laughs> I think there's a side for cars and a side for... <laughs> so you're saying that the gold nugget is a little dated. Um. Well, yeah. Like the like the their the way they go about it is dated. But I was surprised. I walked in there and and there were certain things about it that were like really nice. Like the the lobby and they have a like it looked like a newish pool. It looked really nice. But then you go into the main casino and a lot of stuff in there is really dated. So I'm thinking maybe they've They've upgraded a lot of like the hotel aspect of it, but not so much the the actual casino. Um, it was really funny. I was walking in, <laughs> and they actually, right as you enter the casino, they have a Kino lounge, probably about twenty seats just for people sitting there playing Kino. Wow. That's... Yeah, it was pretty pretty funny. Where else are you gonna play Kino? Oh, oh that's right, everywhere. Sorry. <laughs> but I'm there's mistaken. a lounge just for Kino. Yeah. You just, I mean, you got to focus, right? I mean, you got a system. You got to work it out. I only pick numbers that are adjacent to other numbers unless they're divisible by three, in which case I I add seven and by that like it's very whoa, mathematical. Whoa, don't give away your strategy for free. So you've studied the game. Yeah, I've studied the game. No, Drew Carey describes Kino best. Give me twenty dollars. Ooh, so close. <laughs> um, another thing that was I've never seen this before. They most of the rooms or. Pretty much every room I've played in Vegas, it's um, they have a maximum 
it's it's ten percent uh, rake up to whatever the maximum is. So if it's ten percent up to four dollars rake, they take one dollar for every um every ten dollars in the pot. Um, at the Golden Nugget, they take fifty cents for every five dollars in the pot. So oh, wow. they actually keep uh, rolls of fifty cent coins and they they take fifty cents for every five bucks. Is there a cap? Up to four dollars, I believe. All right. I was thinking maybe they have you know no cap on the buy and no cap on the rake. <laughs> I think it's four. I think they do a four plus plus one. Um, they have like high hands and whatnot. Nice. Yeah, there are some places that don't have rate caps, like in the Caribbean and wow. stuff. Makes really? it really brutal. Um, but apparently not at the Golden Nugget. What about the uh, the green tea? Any any shot at that? I, I didn't have the green tea. I'm not sure if they know what green tea is there. <laughs> Did it make it to the to the old west? Did they have green tea in the old west? Probably. I mean. Uh, they- I mean, didn't didn't Chinese people build the railroads and Chinese Chinese people? I mean, tea is Chinese, so it seems logical they would have brought it with them. Sorry, I didn't mean to give you guys drop some history on you, but it makes sense, right? I mean, maybe I don't know. In a future episode, we'll get into the, I was the opium World War Two, but I was the opium den at the Golden Nugget then. I couldn't find the guy. What? I don't know. I couldn't find the opium guy. That's a whole. There's den. only one guy. I don't. Yeah, it's what the Duke the, said the opium den is right next to the Kino Lounge. <laughs> <laughs> There's like 20 seats just for opium. You have to lie down. Beds. Oh, beds. Sorry, I don't know. If Sorry to drop a little opium history on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, so would you would you ever go back to the Gold Nugget if you weren't on this segment? Or Hunting the Duke? <laughs> I would go back to Hunt the Duke. I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> uh, no comps. Uh, I mean, the game seemed decent, um, but downtown's just so out of the way. I mean, for me, it's pretty inconvenient. But, I mean, if for some reason you're staying downtown, the game seemed good, I would... If if you're trying to make some money and you don't want to go to the strip for some reason, there's no reason not to play it. I guess there are some situations. I mean, that guy sat down with a thousand a thousand bucks, so I I would assume you can get in some pretty nice spots. <clears throat> um, I forgot to mention they do like just like the palms. The only other place I've seen it, they have the button straddle with the ultimate last action, um, which is if you guys don't remember, <clears throat> if you straddle on the button, the action starts under the gun. Uh, goes around, skips the button, and they get to wait till all the action's done pre-flop before they they act. So you can so, do that and play super deep. Yeah. And you don't like this game? Well, I mean, if it's just a matter of opinion, of people buying in deep, I guess. <laughs> How many people true. were doing that straddle? Um, I'd say probably a third of the table. Including uh, yourself, or were you scared no. like Tom? No, you didn't I don't. Do it? I don't straddle. No, I don't really. Straddle. That straddle you don't do? No. Why? I mean, because you, are you aware that it's the ultimate last action? Like, I don't know if you missed that part of your own sentence, but yeah, but I mean, 
you're effectively cutting the stacks in half where most people are only 100 big ones deep anyway. But yeah. you have position so, too. Yeah. Yeah, you do. But I mean... And ultimate last action. And that way if there's like a four bed, because that happens so much live, you got to act after that. It's <laughs> a good point. I hadn't thought of that, huh? Yeah. But maybe more... I should, maybe well, I should adjust my strategy. More yeah. practically, you could just watch everybody else limp and then your last and your position just make it like thousand. Just, yeah, fifteen hundred. See how many of them call you then. <laughs> Ten thousand. Yeah. It'll like be you heads up with the duke. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you get the duke's fuck. money. You got to draw him out. All this time I've been grinding these one-two games, and I could just go play ten thousand deep at the nugget and straddle and shove three. I'm glad we taught you something finally. Yeah, you don't even have to shove if the Duke's got 10,000. You could just make it like a small raise, like 500. Like 5,000. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then check fold the flop. No, he's going to check fold the flop. Always see bet. <laughs> yeah, he's the Duke, not the King. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, poker hands, did you play any interesting hands that don't involve shoving ridiculous stacks against someone named the Duke. Um, I I did play a hand. It was it was pretty it was pretty interesting in the sense that it's it's kind of a situation that it only happens in a live game and um, just kind of knowing the rules or asking to make sure you know the rules so you don't get kind of lost in the in the heat of the moment. Um, <clears throat> I opened from the cutoff with. Um, it was folded to me in the cutoff open with queen nine and, uh, the button who was younger guy. Um, he'd been, he'd been playing a lot of hands. Uh, he is, we're effective stacks are probably, uh, about 300, we're about $300 deep. Um, he calls on the button, everyone else folds. <clears throat> so I, I opened a 10. So there's about 20 after the rake and the, the jackpot drop. There's, it's just it's twenty in the pot. <clears throat> and fifty I've, cents. And and fifty cents. Yeah, it probably was twenty three dollars. <laughs> uh, so I have a queen nine, and he calls the flop comes. Uh, um, queen six seven rainbow. I see bet uh, thirteen dollars. He calls. Um, the turn is a nine, completing the rainbow, and um, I. I play really, really uh, like slow and methodically, so a lot of people get really uncomfortable because I, I think really long before I act. So a lot of people will – even dealers will think I checked or will act out of turn because I play so slow. So, Hurry up, TJ. Um, the pot's about well, – so the pot's about $36 and um, and turn, turns and I gives me top two. Um so I, I'm just kind of thinking about my bet sizing, thinking about his hand, and he bets out $25. So what – I wasn't sure what the rule is. I've, I've heard different things. Um, some places, if if you check, then he's he has to make that bet. Um, there's, there's just – so I, I go to the dealer. I go, you know I didn't check. And he goes, yeah, I know. So I say, is, is that binding? He says, binding. So what – if you guys turn top two, what do you think the best play is in that situation where 
he acts out of turn and bets whatever that that twenty five into into whatever thirty five dollars. What's your guys's opinion on what to do there? I bet twenty four into him, and then he's like, "What? No, you bet like four hundred no. into him." Why? Why don't you check raise him? Because if you check raise him, then you look super strong. Betting four hundred in him looks not very strong. <laughs> <laughs> At least no. then when he folds, you get the twenty five dollars. No, I think you bet slightly under his bet to confuse the hell out of him. Well, I mean he's bound if you check he's bound to that bet. But if you bet That's twenty but if you bet twenty four and he has a straight, he's like, I guess I better fold it. Neither does betting out of turn. I know, I think you you raise him, right? I mean, it looks really strong to ask the dealer if it's binding, check to him, have him bet, and then also check raise him. I mean, but I mean, I think also players will think like, oh, this guy's making me bet and he's a dick and now he's just raising me like, you know, like kind of that, yeah. mm-hmm. that, that, that live, that live thing that goes on and people are just like, well, I'm all in now because you're being an asshole. Screw this guy. Here's my money. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Okay. So what are you going to check raise to? I think if you say, is it binding and then bet, that looks kind of strong. Confusing. Too. Yeah, it does. And conf- it is confusing, but it's kind of. But then if he reacts know. to I mean, it, you have no idea what it means. So just but bet he- 30. Because you know that he was going to bet anyways, you're, so he's going to bet thirty, bet twenty four, because that's 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 really weird psychologically. <laughs> to bet one dollar less than he bet previously, that <laughs> really would mess with my mind if I was in his shoes. <laughs> or what if you just bet the twenty five into him? And he's like, well, I guess I could call because it's the same amount, but what I just you... think I think if you're giving him the option to fold if you bet. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you should. Yeah, I, I think don't... that's a I think that's a horrible option. I Why? agree. I, agree. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying is if you're gonna check raise, what are you gonna check raise to? Fifty-eight. Was that you or TJ? <laughs> <laughs> TJ hasn't acted yet. That's right. I'm sorry. I I spoke out of turn. TJ, what would you raise to? Uh, is my answer binding? What no. would I raise to? I feel like I can't answer because I'm. I, I feel like I'm biased because I was in the hand. Okay. So I think it's really interesting because it's it's a situation that it doesn't come up very often, but when it does come up, I, I mean, I think it's worth discussing because it does happen in live poker. I just don't see how you could put him on like a straight here and enough that I'd be worried. I'm just how do I get the most money out of him? Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. And I think the way to get the most money out of him is to not let him off the hook. Because if yeah. you if you say is it binding and then bet into him, he's probably not going to bet or rate, not, probably not going to raise very often. So you might as well at least make him bet, mm-hmm. even if you call. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> I what I did <laughs> was <clears throat> I checked raise really big. Hoping to just get him um, steaming stack off, either shove over the top of me or just call like a really big river um, shove. Um, so I check raised to um, to ninety, and he thought for a second, and well, he he thought for a little bit and then folded. 
but uh, it was it was a pretty it was it was a situation that doesn't come up too much, but I, I mean, don't know. It's tough because you don't want to really check call, and that looks know. super strong too. No. Yeah, to say is it binding and then check call. I mean, if, if you do any, if you put any more money in the pot, you obviously like have a hand. But check call is like way less strong than check raise. Yeah, I mean, it was just one of those spots where I, I just, my initial reaction was like, and and actually the action actually went a really really slow. Like, sure. I asked if it was binding, yeah. and I thought for I thought for quite a while before I checked back to him and let him bet. And I thought for a while before I raised. So I, I you know what would have been sick is if you wait, if you waited so long that he thought you checked again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like sixty. I'm like, is that binding now? Um, but yeah, I was just, I was kind of hoping just to get the like this guy's being an asshole stack off. But, but then uh, you just look like the guy that times down to one second and then goes all in when he has the nuts. I mean, yeah, hurry up, TJ. I always play slow. You no, trust. I think it works. He got this guy to bet when he out of turn. He got free information. Yeah, but you know That's he might have just playing ten fewer not, hands per hour. I'm not sitting there for <laughs> for three minutes. I mean, I I think for I usually you know when when I have decision make I I play slow enough to go through all my options and most people don't do that so I, it just makes people super uncomfortable. Uh, people just aren't used to. People taking their time. <laughs> he just really. waits until the time bank turns on and then he bets, and that's how he makes sure it's the same every time. <laughs> and the time bank is a lot longer at the Golden Nugget. Yeah. <laughs> because they have to write it down. That's right. They have, they have a big flipboard. 58. 57. Wow. Um, anything else to add about the Golden Nugget? Um, I, I don't think so. I think that's it. All right. All right. Well, give me a hug and Bryce too. Okay. Bring it in. <laughs> All right, everybody. We're back with BJ Nemeth, the lead tournament reporter for the World Poker Tour. Welcome, BJ. Uh, thanks for having me. To start things off, why don't you maybe give everyone a little bit of your background in poker media? Uh, let's see. I've been in the uh, you know playing poker my whole life. Discovered Hold'em when uh, Chris Moneymaker won on uh, the World Poker Tour debuted and all that. Like like most of us, um, started at Card Player Magazine in 2004, basically doing special projects and doing some design work. And then they asked me to cover the main event of the World Series that year for them. Uh, which I guess you could call that was my big break. Uh, it was a last-minute thing the night before day one, and they just thought hey, it might be cool to have BJ, you know, write some stuff for the website because uh, they had never done live coverage like that before. So I jumped at the shot. I immediately knew, oh my God, this is this is what I want to do. Uh, this is the job for me. So I did it. We did a great job. The the web guy was thrilled. Everybody loved the coverage, and then they stopped for like six months and said, ah, that's just for the main event. Nobody ever wants to follow live tournaments. Uh, and then six months later, PokerWire.com started. Uh, Andy Block's girlfriend, Jennifer Creason, started doing uh, chip counts and big hand updates. And they said, hey, that's a great idea. We should do that. Uh, and that's when I became a uh, 
full-time live tournament reporter and basically been doing it ever since. Cool. Where have you been uh, since since Card Player? Uh, let's see. Card Player, I left in uh, 06. I had a brief stint with Poker Pages uh, and then have been with the World Poker Tour on their official live updates team since 2007. Um, and it's been a great team to work on, and the WPT has been great, so I've been happy there. Uh, and then every summer, I, I pick up freelance work for the uh, World Series. I've done Poker Road. I've done Poker news i've worked the official wsop.com coverage and the last two years i've been working with pokerlistings.com that's pretty cool how, do, how does that work in the summer you just kind of go out there and be like hey i'm bj what do you guys who wants to pay me <laughs> uh that's that's kind of my attitude towards it uh something usually kind of falls into my lap around april or maybe late march um last year when black friday hit you know, I didn't have anything set up when Black Friday hit, and I was like, "Oh crap! I, I may be just heading out on my own dime." Because even even if I wasn't paid to cover the SOP, I would still go out. I think they'd give me a credential, and I would just I would just shoot photos and and post them somewhere, and you know, basically not make a dime, but just do it because I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that's a really crappy way to pay your rent. Um, <laughs> so I was I was ecstatic when uh, Poker Listings called me. It was maybe like five days after black friday and i think i actually asked matt shell i was like are, are you sure like have you been paying attention to the news you sure you want to hire additional people he's like yeah yeah yeah. no we've our team is set and we're, we're sticking with our plan so uh i was ecstatic to get picked up by poker listings for the past two summers that's great um speaking of being out at the world series uh anything you want to talk about that was eventful this year uh crazy stories summary anything like that um the the uh, highlight of the WSOP, the, the one drop was amazing, um, but we all kind of knew that would be a monumental thing. You know, it's just an insane amount of money. Um, I've been telling people the, the WSOP has been at the Rio since 2000 and, oh, let's see, 2005 was the first year it was at the Rio. And you could basically play a full schedule of events you know, like a Barry Greenstein or Daniel Negreanu style schedule from 2005 to 2011 and not cash a single time. And that equals one buy in to the one drop. Um, So what it does for stats and for ROI is just insane. Um, We we knew that would be big and it was, and that was great to watch. But the, the two things that stuck out for me as far as just exciting and different to watch the things that'll stick out for this year was the night Phil Hellmuth and Phil Ivy were both heads up in different bracelet events, both going for bracelets um, in completely separate rooms. They had Phil Hellmuth in the pavilion stage uh, in the massive room and they had Ivy on the ESPN main stage in the Amazon room. Uh, so some of the reporters were going back and forth. Some of the fans were going back and forth. I was, uh, stuck at the stock. I was happily stuck at the Ivy table covering that. Uh, Andy Frankenberger ended up defeating Phil Ivy, uh, which kind of, you know, crushed some people's hopes of like a double bracelet. Phil Hummuth won his 12th. Uh, and it was just one of those nights where you, you could literally feel the, God, this sounds metaphysical, and I hate that. You feel the energy, you feel the excitement, just in the entire WSOP, you know, three or four rooms that they have set up for it. Uh, it it's comparable to the night that Johnny Chan won his tenth bracelet uh, back in 2005. 
which was just a couple days before Doyle Brunson won his 10th bracelet. It was uh, reminiscent of the time, I think it was two years ago, that uh, Durr uh, almost won a bracelet. He ended up finishing second and uh, would have won probably more than $10 million in bracelet bets. Um, you know, that was that was one of the nights that is probably uh, top 10 moments in my poker reporting career. Like just, uh, oh, my God, this is so cool. I can't believe I'm here. And this is, yeah, you know, like the Olympics have just started. And there's usually a couple of moments like that for the Olympics every year. And uh, the night they both went for bracelets was was definitely that kind of night. Uh, the, the other really cool moment from this series that I don't think anybody saw coming was the mega satellite to the one drop tournament because you had a, a fairly large field of players who put up $25,000 each. You know, this is the same buy-in as the WPT World Championship, and they're playing for a million-dollar seat, a million-dollar second place, and $400,000 third. And so this is one of the biggest tournaments at WSOP this year, and it's being run as a satellite. Like, they, they don't have the top-tier tournament directors. They have the guys who usually run the satellites running this, even though it's a completely different level of satellite. Uh, it was talked in the back part of the Amazon room. There wasn't there wasn't any TV coverage. There weren't that many reporters covering it. Um, so I actually left another final table, kind of left that coverage hanging a little bit, to cover the final table of the uh, satellite into the one drop. And it was just, and it was a turbo because, you know, it was not a great structure and the players were, were playing against that. But it was the, the juxtaposition between the stakes being so high, the structure being so bad, the professional players being so loose with it. Like they knew the stakes were high, but they, you know, none of them were, were too deep and focused and serious. They were having fun with it. Uh, and that was just, it, it was something unlike anything I've ever seen at the WSOP. Uh, and I'm not sure even if they have one drop again next year, it'll quite be the same. And there, there were a lot of big names in the satellite, right? Because I know I saw a bunch of people on Twitter saying that they, the event sold out and they couldn't get in. So they guess we're gonna have to play the satellite. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it was basically, and they let people who had already bought in uh, play the satellite. Gus Hansen was one of those players who had been, uh, his money transfer didn't come in in time. So he was blocked out of the uh, one drop. So when it got heads up between he and Sean Deeb, uh, didn't listen in on their uh, deal making. There, there was a deal struck with five players left and another one struck with two players left. Um, and it seemed that they both wanted the seat. Uh, but Sean kind of gave it up rather quickly, uh, basically dumped all his chips to Gus Hansen in two hands because he had a slight chip lead at that point. And he was on the phone, Sean Deeb was on the phone with his father when the uh, last hand was run out, when the river card hit. He, he was just sitting there saying, hold on, hold on. And when the river card hit, he said, hi, Dad, I just won a million dollars. And that was just a, you know, I was, I was standing right behind Sean Deeb when he said that I got a photo of him on the phone where you can see Gus on the board and it it was a cool moment. And yeah, the, the field for that satellite was, was possibly, yeah, it was probably as stacked as one of the 10 K fields that uh, the five o'clock events have. Uh, It, it looked like the WPT world championship field for the 25 K in May. Um, a lot of the players who uh, had already gotten their money into the one drop were playing, some of the businessmen. There was a satellite winner who had gotten in for, you know, an absurdly low amount, like maybe a hundred and some dollars. And he didn't quite make the money. He finished sixth right before they made a uh, 
five player deals. So uh, that would have been a really cool story. Um, And man, it just happened so quick. Like a lot of the pros were like, Hey, it was good playing with you and all that. And the guy totally took it in stride, even though he was, you know, just a couple of cards and maybe 25 minutes away from winning 400,000 or a million dollars. I mean, it's just sick. Wow. With that, um, I, there was some confusion on the payouts on that, right? Because uh, it ended up being like tournament chips, right? Oh, the yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Gus basically just got his seat, so he didn't have to deal with anything. And Sean D, because it was a satellite, it followed the normal satellite rules, and he was paid $1 million in tournament lammers. And he was like, um, I, I need 100 people that I can put into the WSOP main event. And so... Uh, a bunch of us were volunteering. I volunteered, and I think there was a chance he might have put me in uh, because I had given him one of the uh, first uh, copies of the BJ's Pocket Guide, and he's one of the players that really looks forward to it and hounded me last year when I didn't make it. And so there was a chance if they didn't cash in his lammers, I would have been able to play the main event, but that would have been <laughs> extremely unfair to Sean. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine, like, just racks and racks and racks of lammers. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he would have been basically camped out by the registration uh, cage and just selling them to, you know, as as a lot of, you know, the pros probably would have bought him from him, but mm-hmm. the regular people would have been like, this has got to be a scam, right? <laughs> exactly. Aren't you that guy that dresses up the woman sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen pictures of you that make me not want to trust you. <laughs> uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about BJ's Pocket Guide? I know anyone who follows... The World Series on Twitter sees people talking about it. Uh, let's see. It's it's basically a, a little schedule in a small uh, inch by four inch book that can fit in like a back jeans pocket. Uh, if you go to WSOP.com, you can see the official schedule, which lists all the events in order and what day they start, which is fine if you just want to see like what events you want to play or things like that. But if you're actually at the WSOP, yeah, there, there's one or two events starting per day, but there's five or six events going on at any one moment. And so uh, what the pocket guide is, is I just rearranged the schedule, broke down the uh, structures. So every day you can see what's starting that day, what's on day two, what's on the final table. Um, and and really, that's, that's the basics of it. But it, it completely changes how you relate to each day. Cause when you show up and you have that information, it just feels a little overwhelming. And then suddenly when you put it in a little book form, you know, everybody who sees it is kind of like, Oh my God, this is so, it, it's so ingeniously stupid. It's so, uh, when Nolan Dalla first saw it, I think he got his first copy. I did it in 2007, 2010. Uh, Nolan Dalla looked at it, you know, flipped through it for maybe two or three minutes and said, I don't mean any offense, but it, now that I've seen this, it's so obvious, and it boggles my mind that nobody has ever done this before, um, which basically sums it up. And then in the back of the book, I have uh, like the most interesting record lists from the WSOP, so it's kind of a records book. You can see who has the most final tables, you know, who has the most bracelets, like everybody who has three or more bracelets, which players won multiple bracelets in uh, specific years like this is the first year since 1999 that we haven't had a multiple bracelet winner um and that hinges on greg merson at the october 9 or november 9 uh if he doesn't make it this will be first time in more than 10 years we don't have a multi-bracelet winner that's pretty crazy to think about (laughs) yeah 
Pocket Guide comes with Run Good as well, right? That's my understanding. That having one in your pocket basically guaranteed a final table. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is I can't really sell them uh, just because of how the WSOP is. I would have to get a vendor's license, uh, which isn't that big of a deal. But they also have a, uh, or at least they used to have a deal with an official WSOP publisher. And since this is a book, it would technically have to go through the publisher. Uh, I showed them a copy in 2010, and they just they didn't get it and they weren't interested. So uh, the the thing that sucks is I basically pay for it out of my my own pocket. Uh, I design it myself. I used to do graphic design uh, and I pay for the printing, which is north of $500, but less than like $1,500. And so I give them to all the uh, tournament directors, the tournament staff, some of the dealers, most of the media. And I basically consider it a little bribe. Like if I need anything from the media or help or anything, they're always very eager to help me because I gave them a pocket guide. Uh, the floor staff gives me, you know, a couple extra little perks. You know, when we were playing down to the November nine, uh, I was allowed to stand in a few ESPN areas that uh, they were shooing most people out of. Because uh, by the time the main event got around, the ESPN crew had kind of learned of the uh, pocket guide, and so I gave it to a few uh, carefully selected people, and I was suddenly one of their favorites, and I got to stand wherever I wanted. Um, and then I also started the meme on Twitter after I gave them out to the players about two weeks into the series. Uh, three players with pocket guides won bracelets in the first three days after I gave them out. Uh, and Antonio almost made it four four days. He had a massive chip lead with three players left uh, and then ended up getting hammered in two hands and busted third. Uh, but Chris Treba... Alan Jeffrey Shulman, the woman who won the uh, seniors event, she had a pocket guide when she won. And David Bakes Baker had a pocket guide when he won the horse tournament. So I, you know, on Twitter, I just was like, hey, you know, it's great to see. I had only given them to maybe about 50 players. Uh, And it's not just the best of the best players. Like a lot of them are friends who may only play three or four of the smaller events each summer. Uh, So for a while, we had extremely good luck. And then, uh, with Antonio winning the one drop, now the pocket guide has an $18 million score under its belt. <laughs> and uh, I, I also had the, uh, I, I say I had, like I'm, like I'm poker stars sponsoring these players. You know, all I did was hand him a pocket guide. But Antonio got it right away when he saw it. This was the first year I gave Antonio one. And he flipped through it, you know, for about 15 seconds. I caught him, you know, walking between tournaments. And he like, stopped and he looked at it and he's like, oh my God, this, this is awesome. Like, Thank you. And I was like, no, no, just, you know, a little WSOP gift. Good luck. Uh, so I had Antonio in the one drop, and I also had the final three players in the 50K. Uh, Andy Block had one, Michael Mizraki, and Chris Klodnicki. So next year I'm going to run stats uh, to say, hey, of the players who had pocket guides in, in 2012, they averaged like $400,000 each in uh, earnings. <laughs> So it'll be fun to to play with the numbers and make it seem like extremely lucky. Yeah, I think just the one drop is going to help skew the stats in a really, really positive direction. Yeah, although I I am going to run them with the one drop and without because Mike Sexton finished ninth. He bubbled the final table, but did make like one point one million. And hey, every one point one million helps. So I'm actually going to run them without the uh, one drop and with the one drop because it's still impressive. It's still, you know, well over $100,000. Uh, 
each. And that's, you know, I didn't get them finished this year until maybe about two and a half weeks into the series. So I'm proud of the players who had the pocket guide. Now, did you give a pocket guide to Team Radiator? Yes. Uh, Jason Somerville. Uh, I actually I keep a list on my phone of like who got which copy. Um, and in retrospect, I totally should have just numbered the pocket guides because uh, it would just make it a slightly cooler souvenir for when it's all over. So Jason Somerville, let's see. Oh, I guess because the first I, I printed 200. Uh, the first 100 or so. 100 plus went to media, floor staff, things like that. So Jason Somerville had copy 140. Uh, Jason Somerville, uh, when he was in the uh, Mega Satellite for the One Drop Tournament, he pulled me aside. We're friends. And he knew that my car's radiator was just having problems earlier that day. And he said, I'll tell you what, BJ, if if I win this satellite and go on to win the $18 million for the One Drop, I will pay to fix your radiator. Uh, and he was, he was building it up in this dramatic way. So like people who are nearby, like totally thought, cause he was like, Oh man, I know you've had all those problems with your car. And I know you do all these road trips. He totally built it up. Like he was going to say, I'm going to buy you a new car. And he said, and I'm going to pay to fix your radiator. And so <laughs> I snap called, I was like, I will totally take it. Uh, and then a little while later in the satellite, he said, I'm going to do you one better. He said, even if I don't win the one drop, he said, if I, if I win the million dollars in the satellite, I'll, I'll still fix your radiator. And I was like, all right, I'll take it. And uh, second place was a million dollars. He finished third. Uh, so he got, he got $400,000, but they had, they had done a deal five-handed, so that was cut down. And then he made day one of the main event, he made the same offer. He said, I'll tell you what, if I win the main event, I'll also pay to fix your radiator. And I negotiated him down to the November 9th since I had to drive back to Atlanta you know, long before the final table took place. So he said, all right, if I finish ninth or higher, I'll fix your radiator. And he made it through to day five or six, finished 69th place. Uh, I think it was the most fun I ever had sweating somebody in a tournament. Uh, Somerville is an awesome, awesome player. And he's, I really think he's one of those players that knows how to play the main event. So many, so many people play, so many pros play a heavy schedule, all WSOP, and they kind of get in this groove. You know, okay, now I'm playing a 1500 event. Now I'm playing a 10K championship. Now I'm playing this. The main event is such a completely different tournament, and it requires a completely different style of play from the pros. Um, the structure is so good and so slow. So many players feel so much more rushed than they should be. And Jason Somerville just had amazing patience, kept picking his spots. He was, you know, short stacked most of the way. Uh, he had approached the chip leaders, I think, on day two, uh, and then never built that stack much higher. So the rest of the field caught up to him, passed him, and then he was short and just hung on for like another two days. Um, so that was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, he finished 69th. He immediately offered. He said, you know what? He, he won uh, over 100000 I don't remember exactly what he won. Uh, and he said, you know what? I'll still fix your radiator. And I said, no, no, no. That would, that would invalidate the sweat. Like the whole sweat had been getting him to the November 9. And if we cheapen it by saying you just got close, that makes the sweat less sincere. So uh, he agreed that that made sense. So the radiator was never fixed. <sighs> Sigh. Sigh. Cool. Um, so you said that uh, you've been covering it since uh, 2005 or 2004. Is that right? 2004, yeah. And and that was when it was back at Binion's still, right? Right. The entire 2004 WSOP was at Binion's. And in 2005, they moved to the Rio and just did the final 27 of the main event at Binion's. Basically, it was a deal with uh, Mayor Oscar Goodman because it was the 100th 
uh, anniversary of Las Vegas becoming a city, and he really wanted to try and revitalize downtown. He didn't want the WSOP to leave. So uh, they said, ah, we'll tell you what, when we get down to the final three tables, we'll move it back to Binion's. And that ended up being a, a pretty cool experience. So I think it was a good thing for the WSOP to do. And then um, since it's gone full-time there, how, how have things really changed? Uh, let's see. The, the first year at the Rio was 05, and there were just massive growing pains. Uh, that was the year the main event went from about 2,400 to about 5,600. And that was the first year. 2004 was the first year that ESPN filmed uh, any of the prelim events. Uh, before 2004, most people just thought of the World Series as the main event. You know, and a lot of people still do, but even even poker players who weren't hardcore professionals also thought of the WSOP as just this one event every year. So in 04, they filmed the prelims, and in 05, everyone's like, wait, I can, I can win a WSOP bracelet in a $1,500 event? So uh, all the prelims exploded in 2005. It was just huge, huge, huge. And they had a lot of problems, as you'd expect. There were there were very few food options. There were, you know, bathroom lines were horrendous. There was smoke in the hallways that, you know, they weren't they didn't count on how much smoke would accumulate in the hallways. You know, they've since made it entirely smoke free. Uh, so those first couple of years, they had serious growing pains. And it probably took until about 2008 before they finally, you know, they had problems with the schedule. There was one year, I think. 06 where they just went they said man people love playing these no limit hold'em events we're just gonna have you know 40 no limit hold'em events and then we'll have like a stud event a raz event whatever um and so that was just that was that was a horrible series the players were complaining about the world series of no limit hold'em uh so, so they fixed those issues. They created the 50K Players Championship. Uh, they had a few issues with that. The ratings, they did the No Limit Hold'em final table, which ESPN loved and the players hated. Then they did the the horse final table, which the players loved and the ratings hated. And I, by about 2008, they finally got all the big issues under control. Uh, and so now it's plateaued and they still do a really good job of experimenting. Uh, they'll try one or two new things. They'll fine tune some of their processes. Um, and if it works great, they'll keep it going forward. Like the, the drop was an experiment. Uh, the 40 K anniversary championship a couple of years ago was an experiment. That one they haven't brought back, but the one drop was a resounding success and, and I, I can't imagine they won't do it or something similar going into next year. Um, so, the, so the WSP at the Rio, I think, is a very mature product. Um, whereas in the early years, it just seemed like, man, there were major problems. You know, there were people playing in a tent outside. There was highway. You know, people felt unsafe while playing a WSOP tournament because the, the wind was shaking the tent and all of that. It never quite cooled properly when you're outside in 110 degrees in Vegas. Um, so those issues are all in the past, and uh, it's, a, it's a pretty smooth operation at this point. You think there's any, uh, any changes that you would like to see made, even though it's pretty smoothed out now? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind, of a, uh, kind of a traditionalist when it comes to the schedule. I don't like the fact that there are like nine $1,500 No Limit Hold'em events uh, back in the pre-moneymaker era, there was basically this is the $1,500 No Limit Hold'em event, and if you win this, you're the $1,500 No Limit Hold'em champion. And you know, we've all heard Phil Hummus say he's a 12-time world champion, or you know, recently he would be saying he was 11-time world champion. 
And people in the industry would scoff and say, oh, come on, only one of those is really a world championship. But b- before the moneymaker era and before they exploded the prelim events, it really was. If, if you won a prelim event, you would win, say, $3,000 seven-card stud. You were considered the $3,000 seven-card stud world champion. Um, you were the res world champion or, or whichever event you won. And there weren't duplicate events. You know, you may have a $1,500 no-limit hold'em, a 3K no-limit hold'em, and a 5K, and then the main event. Uh, but for your price level you were that world champion. And I, I feel like it's lost something. The bracelets have been cheapening me since it's just a matter of, oh, you won one of the 1K events or you won one of the 1500 events. It, uh, it just becomes, it, it makes it seem almost generic mm-hmm. and it, it loses some of the specialness for me. Right, one more question that I had was, do you, going into the, I guess, October 9, do you have any sense, any sense of who's a favorite based on what else you've seen from this year's World Series? Oh, God. I so wish we could be rooting for the uh, one of the women. Uh, not that uh, either of them had many chips heading into the final table. Um, but that was, you know, I think it's unfortunate for poker that we don't have a woman at the final table. But I definitely think with all the ESPN coverage, they're going to obviously be featured majorly. So everything up until the final table, uh, this is going to be the year that the two women made a deep, deep, deep run for the main event. Uh, sucks not to have them there, uh, but of the guys there, and and we've you know as media we've all got a suddenly this is this is kind of a uh, less notable group than we've had in the past. There 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 isn't a Phil Ivy or a Michael Mizraki or somebody like that. Uh, in a lot of ways, we don't even have a Chino Ream style player. Uh, that's not to say these guys aren't good. Uh, Greg Merson uh, won a bracelet earlier this year. He's got he's gotten some comparisons to Ben Lamb, who kind of exploded on the scene last year's World Series. He currently has a lead over Bill Ivy in the Player of the Year race for the WSOP. Uh, Europe counts for that, so Ivy and Helmuth and others will have a chance to catch up. Um, so I, I feel like uh, there's Andres Rockney, There's a WPT champion at the final table. He's the only non-American, uh, and he got the benefit of a very huge uh, floor ruling on one of the earlier days when he possibly could have been eliminated by one of the final two women. Uh, she raised under the gun. He shoved from the small blind, and when Gavin folded his big blind, he kind of forgot she was in the hand, and he mucked his cards. Uh, she had him covered, and she had pocket kings. So the ruling, which is actually backed up by the rule book, uh, he forfeited because he mucked his cards before she acted. You know, if she had said, I call... And then he mucked, he would have been screwed. But she hadn't acted yet, even though it seems like an auto call. You can't assume that. He only forfeited the amount of her raise. And then in horrible, cruel irony, on the last day of the WSOP, he eliminated her in, like, 11th place. And that was painful and horrible. So of the November 9th that is still there, uh, I would put my money money on Greg Merson. Uh, The players I respect respect the hell out of his play and he's third in chips and he's got more than enough to go in with a very solid strategy slight tangent from that what do you think of the november 9 in general what it's done for the world series those going back to the world series changes i've I've always been a big fan of the november 9 format um the delay sucks um you know it it just kind of stops the momentum of the tournament but I think the positives outweigh that so much. The fact that when they finally, you know, I've, I've covered the main event back before that, the, 
the Jerry Yang year, even the media really had very little idea who most of those guys were. It was Lee Watkinson and a handful of other people. So there were some interesting stories there that we we never got introduced to. And you know, players who finished, you know, sixth or seventh at that event had this huge, you know, I feel like making the final table of the main event nowadays with these massive fields is an accomplishment on par with winning the main event back when Helmuth won it. Um, you know, making the final table of this is a huge accomplishment. And because the field is so huge with unknown players, it gives us a better chance. You know, in past years, the only player that was notable in the main event was the winner. You know, Jerry Yang won. Has anybody heard from Chuan Lam who finished second that year? You know, I mean, most people couldn't identify him out of a lineup. Now that we have the November nine, it, it kind of from from ESPN's perspective, it gives you nine chances at a player like Ivy. It gives you nine chances at, you know, a woman like Elizabeth Hill or uh, Gael Bauman. Um, last year, we we didn't have a huge final table in terms of somebody like Ivy, but we had a very strong final table. Anybody who follows poker closely, we had a lot of uh, top pros that Last year's final table, Ben Lamb, Phil Collins, uh, Matt Gianetti. Uh, if, it, if it just boiled down to the winner, if we didn't have the November 9 last year, those guys would have been treated no differently than the players who finished 12th, 13th, and 14th, which, you know, most of us have forgotten. Uh, it just would have been, oh, Pius Hines, here's, here's another player that, you know, we didn't know, and now he's world champion. Um, so the November 9 is far from perfect, but I definitely think think the benefits the the fact that it it gives us a chance to get to know these guys to know their stories um you know one of these guys at the final table i think it's uh short stack yeah jeremy osmus uh his wife is pregnant with their second child and it's due to be delivered about a week after the final table um so that's going to be a pretty amazing storyline and we'll get some build up to that whereas if we just played the final table the next day even even if she was very pregnant and the final table would have been the next day it it just wouldn't have been nearly as interesting a story most people wouldn't have heard of it until maybe after the fact when it's much less impactful um so yes i'm i'm very pro november 9 not sure how long it's going to last cuz the the issues with espn seem to always be in flux as to how many events they're covering, what they're covering. They did the live stream last year, which everybody seemed to love, except for the people who uh, balanced the books at ESPN and said, we feel like this hurt our ratings. So they cut the live stream this year. Um, I, I don't think the November 9 is the best possible system either. I feel like... I feel like at some point somebody's going to have a brainstorm, kind of like the pocket guide, where it's like, oh, my God, it's so obvious. How did we not think of that? And uh, when that happens, it'll hopefully have fewer of the disadvantages and maybe a couple more advantages. As somebody who went to the November November 9 last year, um, when I got to go see it live, because I'm actually buddies with uh, Matt Gianetti, um, it's really a very interesting like you know if it happened the next day you don't get to kind of have all of your friends and family fly in um to come see you compete in something like that and i think that the live atmosphere was was really great as well um for poker you know it's like a whole day event um even after like if you're uh the guy that you're rooting for goes out, you know, people still stick around and kind of see what's happening because you get to go there and see it live, which with the old system, it doesn't seem like that something like that would be possible. 
Right. Uh, yeah, the players who bust now still have they've gotten to know the other November Niners. They they still are interested in what happens, even though they bust. Whereas in past years, it's like I don't know these guys and screw these guys and you know, <laughs> grumble grumble. I'm out of here. Um, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a much larger experience. Poker poker has never had any you know big arena type experience until the November nine, where you just have rabid fans in the audience, people wearing t-shirts and truck horns and all the craziness. Uh, and it's, and it's in an area where it's actually suited for it. Cause at the ESPN stage at the Rio or at the Amazon room, uh, it can be a little overwhelming for the players, but then when you put them in the Penn and Teller theater, it suddenly becomes a lot more appropriate for the, the really loud yelling and cheering and all of that. Agreed. And I think Dennis Phillips' fans all dressing up like him is the closest you're going to come in poker to people wearing jerseys to football games. Like, that's... <laughs> right. Uh, or face painting and things like that. Everybody standing up with a single letter painted onto their chest. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's good for poker that there's something like that that fans... You know, or because it's it's produced in a different way, like in, in previous years to the November 9... The uh, main event was just kind of this long week to week serial thing on ESPN. Uh, and it just felt like the final episode of a season long series. And now the November nine kind of feels like an event unto itself. So even if you're a casual fan and don't watch the entire WSOP on TV, you can be like, I'll tune into this, you know, final table extravaganza. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to add? I mean, this has been wonderful. Uh, really cool to see some, some inside insight into the WSOP now that it's kind of wrapped up and done. Um, yeah. Uh, I had a, a great summer and, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to the WSOP every year. Oh, sorry. I was just, uh, a, a security guard. I'm, I'm in my undisclosed location out West in the middle of my road trip and a security guard just swung by to ask me what I am doing. <laughs> That's all right. Don't, don't tell him what show you're on or he'll make you leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it was surprisingly easy. I just kind of looked at him and waved my hand like, can I have five more minutes? And he just kind of shrugged and left. So I guess he doesn't <laughs> consider me a security threat. <laughs> Uh, all right. Thanks again for being here. Absolutely. Um, and also, when when does the uh, yeah, WPT Apologies for season... going on and on and on, but I can talk no. for no. me to get forever. Always appreciate it. Uh, let's see. It. The, the uh, WPT, there's a uh, – oh, man, there's an overseas event that I don't have on my calendar because, uh, uh, unfortunately, they don't send me to the overseas event. But the, on the U.S. side, it starts August 10th at the Parks Casino in Philadelphia, uh, which is a new stop for the WPT. Uh, and from what I've heard from the players, they're looking forward to it, so we should get a good-sized field. And I'm just looking forward to covering a WPT event in a new city and a new casino. And uh, really quick, what's your uh, Twitter account so that people can follow you and, and get these updates? Uh, my Twitter is at BJ Nemeth. B-J-N-E-M-E-T-H. Uh, and there's some poker and there's some road trips and there's some Apple technology news and things like that. Uh, and then if you just want poker updates for the WPT, it's at WPT Live Updates. All right. Uh, thanks again for being here. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Mitch's Minute, the best podcast segment on the internet. The search for the Higgs boson has been in the news lately, and I want to shed some light on the fact that America could have found it 10 years ago. 
quite easily. The superconducting supercollider was a planned government-funded particle accelerator developed in the 80s. It had a ring circumference of 87 kilometers and planned collision energy of 40 tera electron volts, which is five times more than the current levels at the CERN Large Hadron Collider. The location, Waxahachie, Texas, was chosen in 1988 and construction began in 1991. The initial costs of $4.4 billion blew out to $12 billion, so in 1993 they cancelled the project after digging 23 kilometers of tunnel and spending $2 billion on it. One reason given for its cancellation, which I liked, was the end of the need to prove the supremacy of American science with the collapse of the Soviet Union. Because that's why you do science, and that's why you can stop science. President Clinton tried to prevent the cancellation, saying abandoning the SSC at this point would signal that the United States is compromising its position of leadership in basic science, and he was right. This has been Mitch's Minute. All right, I'd like to thank BJ for coming on. Um, also, big thanks to uh, TJ and also Mitch J. I'm glad that he got over his sickness. He was sounding a little weird for a couple of weeks there, but um, good to hear that he's back in good health. Uh, you can check us out at badoogieallstars.com. Find us on Twitter at twitter.com, badoogieallstars, facebook.com, badoogieallstars. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, give us a rating or review or, I don't know, something else. High five. As long as it's good. <laughs> as, long, as long as it's good. Eh, if, if it's, even if it's okay. Have we received <laughs> any reviews lately? I don't know. I don't know how to check them. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people to listen on Stitcher. I don't know how that works. That's true. So oh, yeah, listen on Stitcher. Stitcher. <laughs> We'd also like to thank Big V for his awesome donation to our PayPal account, badoogieallstars at gmail.com. And also send in any hands that you have so we don't have to talk about my hands anymore, uh, Allstars at gmail.com. And we'll be back in a couple weeks. This is Tecmo Super Bowl signing off. This is Nixon the Grouch. It's two for offsuit. See you all later. Oh, the kids saying the darnest things.